This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018. Happy New Year, everyone. This is like, wow, a new year. So I've got two guests this week. This is super exciting and special. I have Mr. Jason Howell of All About Android. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, Miriam. How are you doing? It's so great to join you here finally. Ah, uh, yeah. Finally have you on. But more importantly, in good old school return to form, I have Sean Cooper, who's a contributor at Engadget and used to do the Engadget Mobile podcast with me here on the show. Hi, Sean. How are hey, you? Hey, everybody. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's, uh, it's odd to hear you struggling over 2018. It's still strange to say. It's only a couple days old. I know. Like, I just had to think about that <laughs> twice. Anyway, um... So, you know, CS is coming up. It's weird, actually, that we have a podcast before CS in the first week of the year, because usually CS is starting this week, but they didn't because January 1st was Monday, I guess. And so I'm going to be heading there. I know that, uh, I don't know if Sean, you're going. I know that Jason, you're not. No, I'm not going. I am not. You're not, Sean, this year. But you know what? Um, That doesn't matter because there's been a bunch of rumors about CS, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we're going to see there, what you expect to see there, um, at least, you know, remotely, you know, by reading the news. But more importantly, like, you know, what what are we, what should we be looking for to in 2018? And maybe your thoughts on what really you, de- you, you dug and enjoyed in 2017. So maybe start with, uh, with you, Jason. What are, what are you expecting at CS? Well, I mean, I so I've been to CES a number of times and I haven't been the last. This would probably be my third or fourth year in a row where I haven't been to CES. And I, I will say, like, I, I miss the camaraderie aspect of it. But that's the best the, part, right? I mean, I, yeah, that's 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 kind of the best part of being there. And, and it's it's kind of a bummer to not get that. But then the daily grind of everything it can be a little bit of a challenge, especially if you're covering mobile, because, you know, like we were talking there's about nothing prior, going prior on. to starting the recording, there's not a whole lot of phones. <laughs> announcement stuff that happens at CES. If that's your if that's your bag, you're better off waiting until, you know, Mobile World Congress or whatever, but um you know, as far as phone specific, it's it's hard to say what we're going to see. I had heard a rumor late last month I think it was that Samsung or middle of last month that Samsung was possibly going to be showing off the S9 in some way shape or form at CES which kind of sounded a little outlandish to yeah, me personally Yeah that seems crazy to me I'm I still don't you. buy that Yeah cuz that's not as that's not a Samsung thing to do I mean they they no, skip really. that show Yeah so I, you know, maybe that. I mean, and outside of that, I mean, I could branch off into into other categories. But if we want to start with mobile, that's really the only thing that I I've really would you know is even on my radar. That and possibly a little bit more education around plans for five G, which you know we're we're kind of entering this this new world order around five G connectivity and, and and defining what that means for all the different carriers. And I guess they have a they have a keynote scheduled for five G with Verizon, Qualcomm and Baidu. So we might hear a little bit more about that and perhaps how that, you know, might affect some of these devices and everything. I don't think you're really gonna get very many big name uh, device announcements though. No, no, for sure. What about you, Thron? What are your thoughts? You know, honestly, aside from the mobile, which, you know, Jason's already touched on I think it's going to be like it was last year and, and you know, a couple of years previous to that will be, CES is going to be pretty automotive 
as focused as it seems to have becoming an automotive. It is, it's right? Crazy. I mean, it's kind of yeah, cool no in a way because, you know, I, we cover mobile devices on the show and I consider cars to be mobile devices. They're full of technology. Oh, yeah. They can move on their own power most of the time nowadays even. So, hey, why not, right? Yeah, so that and uh, I, I understand that Google's going to have a big show there. So that's kind of interesting. Huh. So they're going to have a, like a large presence, a big booth all by themselves, not partnering or teaming up with, with their people that vend their you know, their, their products through their OS and so on. So they're actually going to have stuff to show. And it might be that they have new things to show that we haven't really heard about it. You know, uh, I'm sure there'll be tons of their home automation stuff will be everywhere and probably yeah. partners in the booth. But I mean, will, will they have some new product announcements? Uh, somebody talked to maybe about uh, Chromebooks potentially or something new that way. Uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, obviously they, I think they, you know, in terms of their own devices, I think we're not going to see anything until the spring or fall at this point, right? I mean, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL, Pixel Book, Pixel Buds, Pixel, Pixel whatever Pixel. that camera weird thing was. <laughs> what was it called? The, yeah. the, the the clips or whatever. or What's it? Clips? Something like that. Oh, Google Clips, Pixel Clips. Yeah. No. Google Clips. Google Clips. <laughs> like Pixel that. Pixel. I like that, Sean. Thank that you. was good. I, I, um, another <laughs> another fun, actually, back to automotive just briefly, is that I'd read something a few days ago about Kenwood showing off a head unit that does Android auto, but oh, wireless. Wireless. Right. So that, yeah, yeah. that'd oh, be really I cool. Think I think that would be a neat thing. That. So yeah. yeah. Are you going to get that for your, for your Subaru, uh, Sean? I probably should, eh? Right now I have yeah. What do you what do you have right now? Do you have an Avic? Yeah, of I have some an kind? Avic eight thousand. It's really great, but it doesn't. It has app. It has you know Apple's toys, but not Android. And I'm not an Apple handset user. Speaking of um, more mobile stuff, Miriam, you just got an iPhone ten X. However you want to call it. I did. It. I did. So what do you think? I did. Uh, 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 um, <laughs> no, don't. Sorry, uh, that's terrible. Oh, I, I I like it a lot. It's really nice. Beautiful. I just can't get used to iOS. It's the same yeah. story as always. I mean, I have to say, iOS eleven is a huge improvement. I love the hardware. I think Face ID is really truly revolutionary. I think it's the future of authentication. Um, I actually think that that combined with voice authentication, which I think Google of anybody could do better than anyone else mm -hmm. to the point now where if you use Google Assistant or have a Google Home, you know, it's able to distinguish members of your family. And I can imagine a place, a, a future where I kind of talked about this on last podcast with, uh, uh, with John Velasco, but it, I can see a future where you go to check out at the grocery store and there is a camera in the, in the terminal and a microphone and, and using a face ID type um, depth sensing um you know system and uh your voice um connected to like a backend like google's it you, you can do secure mobile payment essentially by two-step not two-step but two two-factor authentication because you have the face authentication and the voice print authentication oh, yeah. i really think um you know that that is the that is the thing right now that that and face id is really you know being able to just glance at the phone in the lock screen with all the notifications and have the load of notifications kind of appear because it recognizes you is just magic yeah, and that's nice you know autofill your passwords in the web browser by just looking at the phone is also magic but you know it's ios it's just like i really think what i'm excited about and the reason i got it because i do think it's a milestone device in the sense that you know, I've owned almost every iPhone up to the six, and then I took a break since then mm -hmm. because I just didn't feel there was any innovation anymore. And I feel that the iPhone 10 is finally the first iPhone in 10 years that 
you know, well, not 10 years, but in a number of years, that really pushes the envelope. I feel that the last significant iPhone was the 5S because of Touch ID, mm -hmm. which is the first time somebody did fingerprinting properly. I mean, remember the Atrix that never worked very well. Mm -hmm. oh, and then, last right? Last. And then prior to that, I really think the iPhone 4, like, raised the bar for the entire industry by making a phone out of metal and glass that was like jewelry. Like all our phones are like that now. Mm -hmm. Even like a $200 um, Huawei Honor 7X, which is a phenomenal phone for the money, is all metal and glass. And so, you know, we're there now, but the 4 defined that and the 4 gave us Retina. It gave us the concept that 400 dots per inch, pixels per inch, was what we needed to feel comfortable with the display. And that's spread on everything, laptops, desktops, everybody's going 4K, 5K on, on bigger screens and definitely going Retina on laptops and Chromebooks. And, and so to me, you know, the 10, I needed to have one because I really feel that for the first time, Apple made an Android phone. You know what I'm saying? In terms of specs, hardware, features, it's up there with the galaxies. I didn't feel like the 7 and the 8, well, the 8 to some extent, but I don't feel like the 7 were really competitive phones compared to what, you know, Google and and LG and Samsung had to offer. And so the so that so yeah, I'm happy, but my hesitation is because I just iOS. Oh. Yeah. It's it's hard to get used to iOS. I mean, I I've, I've been lifelong Android user. The only time that I've lived on iOS was actually a year ago. Uh, a couple of days ago, because Megan Maroney and I, we were hosting Tech News Today at the time, and we did an iOS Android switch or swap for the Oh my the God, month. how did that go? And, and I mean, it, you know, it went really well. It was super educational, right? Like I've spent a lot of time talking about the iPhone, but never having lived with it. It was really nice to finally get a month on it. But yeah, it's just really hard. Like the paradigms are, are very different in a lot of ways. And in some ways they are very similar. In some ways they are very different. And it really just depends on, you know, what side you fall down on as far as your big priorities. What I'm curious about with the iPhone 10 is this is not the first time that we've had some sort of face unlock. We've seen manufacturers no. in the Android side do this before. However, this is probably the most evolved version of and the most face secure unlock. So and I'm wondering far. I think that's and the most, most secure and I think that's a the big priority and the big big reason why it's probably going to be, you know, much more successful than the others. I'm curious to know how this trickles down to the competition because Apple very often isn't the first something, but they do something differently, perhaps better than it's been done before and then others follow suit and go, "Okay, well then that's so, the right way to so, do it." So are we going to start seeing this multiple camera array system oh, yeah. on Android that's devices exactly, starting next year? I'm really year. hoping that Absolutely. that's the case for all the Android sets too going forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, hold that thought for a second. I want to go back to one of the things you talked about before we lose it in the topic, you know, dystopia here. <laughs> um, 5G and automotive. I think a lot of the 5G stuff we're going to see is auto going to be automotive related mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. CS has become an auto show in many ways. But also the stuff you talked about, Baidu, Qualcomm, and uh, what was the other company you Ver talked about? Verizon. Verizon. That has mm -hmm. actually been kind of pre-announced already. When I was at Qualcomm's tech summit in Hawaii in early December, they were, Verizon was on stage, Baidu was on stage, and there was some discussion on 5G. So... I think this is kind of a broader audience version of what we were fed mm. at that conference. But back to um, depth perception on cameras and Face ID. And um, I feel what makes Face ID unique is that it's very reliable and very secure compared to anything else we've used. Like, personally, I can't use the Galaxy S8, S8 Plus, and Note 8 
uh, retinal scan or eye scanning technology. It just doesn't work with me, but at all. I, I always wear glasses. I have different pairs of glasses with different prescriptions, like, you know, for reading, for driving. It just doesn't figure me out at all. Yeah. Um, dumb facial recognition like we've had on Android since terrible. Nexus. Completely useless. Uh, Galaxy is terrible. It doesn't work well and it's useless. It's complete. You can spoof it with a photo. And yeah, what, what OnePlus is doing on the OnePlus 5T is a big improvement, but we know it's not as secure as Face ID. So I really do think you're right that Apple is defining the future. And we've heard very strong rumors when we were briefed by Huawei about the um, the Mate 10, Mate 10 Pro, and then later on even further, more hints when we were briefed on the that, that $200 Honor 7X and the V10, View 10 um, uh, Honor device that's about to launch, what I think is going to be launching at CES. Um, you know, that device is already, we've already done hands-on, so it's not new per se, but all of these, they, they were dropping hints that none of these devices would actually have something like that, but that the next generation of Huawei devices, so maybe the P11 or the Mate 11 this year, 2018, would have a sensor that could and a technology that would compete with Apple and be just as good. So to me, at least we got Huawei on board. I would be absolutely stunned if Samsung launched a Galaxy S9 without something that can compete with Apple here. Right and do you, and do you think that takes the form of multiple cameras up at the top or is it, it no it could be different it, it could be different things it, it has yeah. to be depth perception there are different ways to do that there's the connect yeah. way which is what basically Apple yeah, is two doing of them, right? there's dual yeah there's dual cameras um like dual traditional cameras maybe one infrared and and in in a sense I guess that's what Apple is doing because they have a dead but what Apple is really doing is they have a dedicated infrared camera that reads a, an array of dots that's displayed right. on projected on the on your face so they the front facing camera i don't think is an actual integral part of the system like the one that mm -hmm. takes your color photo selfies no, I think that one right. is actually just used for like noticing that you're looking at the phone um and a bunch of other things proximity and stuff but i don't think so in in that part it's part of the system but i don't think it's part of the depth system that's all the infrared whereas i, think I doing that, yeah. you could use yeah. you could use dual cameras like basically parallax uh, with one being infra, uh, with, you know, with maybe both having infrared range so they can see at night, and then you could bathe the scene in in light, not not dots, but light infrared, so they would work at night, and you know the parallax would read your face depth and give you an accurate face map. That would be another solution. We've also seen what uh, the Google Pixel does uh, with um, portrait photography on the back camera, the Pixel Two and Pixel Two XL. They use the dual pixel autofocus system as a parallax system to read depth. So as long as you have a camera that can you know, see your face in the dark, being uh, bathing it in infrared and, and, and picking up the infrared uh, image, uh, and you can do parallax, you don't need to project an array of dots. It's just the Kinect technology is essentially that Apple is, is inherited by buying the company who originally designed mm -hmm. Kinect um, mm -hmm. is is uh, pretty foolproof. And, you know, you remember how the original Kinect, how big it was. They've just miniaturized it. Um, I would actually, uh, my bet is that the the iPhone 10 or 10, 11 next year's iPhone 10 um, will have depth sensing on the rear camera as well for better ar not for authentication per se but probably for facial recognition so that it'll be it might be able to know who you're taking photos of for your photos library mm -hmm. and i think apple will do it in such a way that won't piss too many people off for privacy because right. uh, they're very mindful of that and yeah they spent know, a long time apple at, the, at the reveal talking about privacy and how they were you know the, this this print is stored on the phone it's not stored in apple servers or the cloud at all 
I think they're, I they're, they're really, mind, you're right, they're very mindful about that. I mean, as an aside, I really think that Apple cannot continue to be successful. And I, and I want to be saying this, you know, that if you have this impression because of my hesitation around iOS on the iPhone 10 that I'm not an, an Apple person, that is completely incorrect. I'm a huge Mac fan. I love my Macs, my Mac ecosystem. I just don't use Apple's cloud services because I feel that Google's a superior. And I think that what is going to, you know, be a problem for Apple long term if they don't get this together is them need they need to compete on this cloud stuff on this AI based uh, crowdsourced data sets that make the devices more intelligent. And I know they want to do it in such a way with, by protecting people's privacy. And I respect that. And I want them to do that. Google tends to be a little loose on that. <laughs> but at the same time, Google has never had a security breach that I'm aware of. So I continue to trust them. And I feel that every time I give them more data that I do know that they sell, uh, at least anonymously to people, I get better features out of that. Mm -hmm. And those features far outweigh my privacy concerns. So I think this is a personal decision, but I really do believe that people who don't opt into these AI-based, cloud-based, um, crowd, not crowdsourced data set systems, like for imaging or voice for or whatever. This is what makes Google Maps so successful. Is that yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Those people are going to start losing out on their experiences on their smart devices in general. And then Apple is going to fall behind, at least in that area, if they aren't already, if they can provide that level of functionality on the iPhone going forward. Because the Mac doesn't necessarily need it. But the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple Watch definitely need that stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Actually, I had another thought around Apple and, and its choices in it, the technology space. And, you know, the recently the, the next the thing that's been sort of buzzing the news from them is the uh, how they slow handsets based on battery age and battery performance. Oh, yeah, that's the latest news. huh? Yeah, that's that's noisy. I, you know, a lot of people are really upset about it because it somehow seems so invasive that it's like it's like mm -hmm. Intel reaching into your computer saying, oh, no, you have to slow you down. Your performance degrades. I mean, ultimately, the reason for doing it is sane and sound. But it seems like the the message around how they and how they did it was kind of underhanded and sneaky, and and this is what makes people more fearful of of sharing data stuff like this. It's, yeah, they should have been more transparent. They should have said, that, "Hey, guess just... what we're going to do in the future? Uh, yeah. Is your performance slow here? We're thinking of doing this, or this is what's going to happen the next iOS, rather than just kind of sneakily doing it." I mean, I think ultimately for most people, it was probably not a noticeable change. Um, no, right? uh, but I think the fact that they weren't open, uh, as open as they could have been about it, certainly for Apple, who goes on and on about how transparent they want to be, it was a, it was a disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that they issued a very nice apology. But at the same time, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I, I think people are overreacting. If it wasn't Apple, they wouldn't make a fuss. And also, you know, I find it kind of interesting that Google, not Google, but Samsung at least reply, uh, issued their statement saying, we don't do that. And yeah, Moto HTC, Motorola, Samsung, yeah. and LG. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, what, what's your thought on that, Jason? Come on. They've like, done it in the past, though, with their televisions, right? And the TVOS. Right, but not only that, but I mean, it's it uh, technically engineering-wise, this is a very smart decision to slow down your phone a little bit, to right. not have these, these current peaks that'll take your phone down. I doubt that they don't do it. They must do something. Otherwise, your phone just dies. I like that. Right? Well, I think in the in the Android world, where <laughs> at least for me, I'm so used to my phone. Just if, randomly If I, I hold on to an Android phone for two <laughs> Two years, uh, two years. I guarantee you, it would seem way less of a phone than it did the two years prior. You that know, is be, true. be it outdated software, be it, it you know just. 
that that hardware seems to degrade over time for whatever reason on Android devices and batteries are really big component of that. So seeing those announcements really just just seems to me like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It's probably more semantics than anything. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your phones are magically much better after two years. They no, are. they're not. True. <laughs> so what's, uh, so what's, we used to talk about this on the podcast way back. This is a throwback thing, Miriam, with Chris and with you, is that, you know, uh-huh. back then it was not about battery life. It was about thinner and thinner phones. And then it <laughs> yeah. was, I mean, like yeah. everybody with HTC, all of them were trying to make the thinnest phones they could. And we used to gripe saying, you know, we'd love it if you made this phone, but give us an option for a fatter version with a bigger battery. And I still feel Excellent. that's true. I think I, I'd be okay with another millimeter and a half on my my Samsung S8, S7, if my battery life was proportionally that much better. I mean, the most important thing for most people is to be able to get through their day using their phone, yes. how they want to use it without having to worry, oh my God, you know, my phone's going to shut off in nine minutes because I haven't had a chance to plug in anywhere and charge. Yeah, well, look, I agree, but I think that actually we've reached that point. I mean, Jason might disagree with me, but I feel that all the flagships today, last two days, no problem for me. I don't know what you guys do on your phones, and if and a hard day at CS is just a day, and a day is good enough. Yeah, yeah it has to be able to get yeah. to a day. I mean, I don't think we need this to worry. I mean, the Galaxy S8 non-plus is a little skimpy on life i think the pixel 2 non-xl is also a little skimpy but those are small phones and right now i think the only phone that still have a problem that they can't do an entire day of normal use are like very rare and the small phones usually can do a day and a half of normal use but the big phones like my pixel 2 xl daily driver um i can push to two days on normal use and definitely it goes a full day at a trade show i've done some pretty insane days with my pixel 2 xl and just keeps on ticking um i don't know i don't know how you're able to pull that off i mean (laughs) i i i feel this way about every like flagship phone that i get on android is that man the battery is so great i just got it and it's amazing and the first you know couple of months are awesome and isn't it isn't it convenient that in those first couple of months we you know we talk a lot (laughs) about our impressions and everything so these phones have this really big reputation of having a great battery life and everything but i mean i'm telling you with my pixel 2 xl i'm not sure what i'm doing any differently now than i was a couple of weeks ago but now suddenly when i put it on my charging dock at the end of the day it's at like 13 12 percent sure i made it through the day but guaranteed that's less performance than i was getting a couple of months ago when i first got it and you know i mean we just as we own these phones we put more and more stuff on them i don't think we realize the cruft that we I end agree. up throwing at them over <laughs> time true. and i think that has an I, effect i agree you know? i am i don't you totally nailed it i, I just feel i'm be much better at managing watch apps i you, keep installed what yeah. i run in the background and honestly there is definitely battery degradation happening even mm-hmm. after three months of my pixel 2 xl and so far that you know I ch- it's a charge cycle a day, right? Batteries are rated at 600 charge cycles. Typically, that's good ones. Maybe a thousand charge cycles for the best ones. You're talking about, you know, a, a year, two years of battery life yeah. if you charge yeah. every day. Um, so be be mindful of that. I think that's you're gonna start seeing one or two percent loss after a month or two. That's, I mean, but I'm just saying that, I out of the box today that wasn't always the case that you could go easily a day on battery life on a phone no i mean the, no, the, the, right. the nexus 4 is like mid by just lunch it was finished so <laughs> maybe i think we're not 
as much as I agree with you, Sean, it would be nice to have a few more millimeters. I feel that we're not, we, things have improved drastically in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And and I feel that we're getting, like, I think it's a combination of better battery tech, much more efficient processors. The 10 nanometer stuff has really made a difference. Better radios. And I also think that, you know, radios are more efficient, mm -hmm. but more importantly, I think the software is like, like the OS have are better at managing power. I think Oreo does a better job than Nougat. Nougat did a pretty decent job. Mm -hmm. And and I think the iPhone is an example of how to do power management. And that's the tight integration hardware and software, right? right? Like iPhones blow my mind when I see what the batteries are rated at, at how efficient they're able how, to be. How's your iPhone 10 that way? My, my Sarah uses an 8, which is new to her, and she's blown away by how long the battery lasts on that. So. It's very good. I mean, it's not as good as my 6S when my sort of 6 Plus when it was new. I had a 6 Plus, which was the you know, giant phone. Um, and that thing now is the battery's old, but back then it was, it, compared, especially compared to Android, I remember making a mental note thinking, wow, okay, Apple, well done. <laughs> this is impressive. Um, I would say it compares with that, but but I hear that the iPhone 8 Plus is the champ right now. If you want the best iPhone battery life, that's the one to get. Uh, because obviously the physical size of the battery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But look, I think I think for me, you know, the other thing I want to bring up is the Moto Z, the original, mm -hmm. uh, came into flavors Z and the Z uh, Force. And uh, the Z Force was much thicker and had a much bigger battery, just like the Droid Maxes prior, prior to that. Mm -hmm. And and I think Moto has shown an interest in making phones that have, you know, a thin version with normal battery life and a thick kind of rugged version with a bigger battery um unfortunately they broke that this year with the moto z force z2 force which is one of my most disappointing phones of the years in many way of 2017 and i've already gone in detail at length in the podcast about it but i just want to bring up because they kind of did the worst of both worlds they made it thicker than the thin one because they wanted it rugged with a, the unbreakable glass cover mm -hmm. but then they made it battery life actually slightly worse than the thinnest one the year before because they, I, I mean, they just didn't follow up. And I think the, the argument here was a marketing argument from or sales argument or, or an accounting argument, which was let's sell some battery mods. We never right. sold any battery mods with the Z force last year because the battery life was so great. And if the mod ecosystem has, will take off, it's only if people adopt mods. So let's force them to buy mods. <laughs> I think that's what they did. Yeah, which is sucky, right? Yeah, I, I I'm not sold on the mod, the mod idea for phones. It seems to have never taken off. It's always been a gimmick, and then it disappears immediately, again and again and again. I completely right? agree. Or yeah. I completely agree. And anyone that that has them, I'm actually Ron Richards on All About Android. He's been uh, using the Z2. It might be the Z2 Force actually. And uh, and he's been using a whole bevy of those uh, those mods. And, you know, while he speaks very highly of them, the question always comes back around to, OK, yes. So which ones are you using on a regular basis? Like exactly. when you get one of these mods, how, you know, it's cool when you first get it. That's that will always be the case when you get something new uh, three months down the line. Are you still pulling that out on a regular basis or is it just become I mean, you an need extra an accessory suitcase. that you can carry you all your stuff? Things. It's like between yeah. Apple <laughs> dongles and mods, you need a bigger laptop bag to travel with i know yes but look awesome. i do like the mods i don't want you to think that because i don't like the z24 specifically that i do not like the mods i do i think the z2 play is the phone to get from 2017 with with mod support the z2 play is a mid-ranger but for the price the features are better you get a headphone jack you better get you actually get a better camera system you get a 
in my opinion, a better quality display. Uh, you just lose out on the Snapdragon 835 and you, you downgrade to a Snapdragon 626 or 625 or whatever it is. Um, but the point is, the, pre the, the previous gen uh, Zs, you had the Z Play, which was also my favorite of the three, and then you had the Z and the Z Force. But the Z, the original Z was really exciting to me because not only did it bring the mods in, but it was so thin. And it was still pretty decent battery life-wise for its time. And five millimeter thin phone, you know, in that form factor, which is a pretty big phone, 5.5 inches with bezels, mm -hmm. was uh, wow. Like it was had a wow factor to it. Even when I look at it still today, it's like, okay, it's cool. Now, it's just kind of like a gimmick really, right? Like I'd rather have a six or seven millimeter phone like my Pixel 2 XL mm -hmm. and have you know, better battery life and not deal with mods, frankly. <laughs> but you have to admire the fact that they made something that looked unique and special. So, absolutely. so, so, Miriam, what do you think is going to define this year's phones? The change in topic on us here. Sorry about that. No, no, that's cool. I mean, we talked about this with John last week. I think for me, it's the face ID stuff we talked about. I really think that Huawei will have something mm -hmm. competitive. And I think that Samsung is going to have to compete in that level. Um, but they're also going to have fingerprint readers at the same time. So it's going to be the best of both worlds. People will be able to transition um, by using both for a while. And I think eventually they're just going to stop using their fingerprint readers, you know. Um, and then... Um, Depth perception on the back camera, I think, is going to be a big deal, mm -hmm. not for authentication so much as for um, very, very accurate, um, um, you know, variable aperture, like basically synthetic depth of field um, and for AR, like being able to do what the Tango phones used to do with all their sensors, which, you know, now you don't need anymore because AR core can make sense of just what's coming out of a single camera even. Mm. Um, but I think that you still, the more information you can give the subsystem, the, the AR subsystem, whether it be, you know, AR core on Android or, um, or Apple's version on iOS is going to help getting you um, more accurate tracking of your, the phone in your world. Whether that's used for AR or other things, it doesn't matter. I think that's going to become an expected set of sensor data on a phone. Like today, we have temperature, proximity, light, mm -hmm. barometer, all this other stuff that's totally built into the SOCs, mm -hmm. right? I think we're going to see that. And there are different ways to do that. Qualcomm has shown uh, three different ways to do that. Uh, dual camera, for you know stereo vision, like in the sense of like depth perception using parallax, um, they've you know we've seen dual pixel implementations, the Pixel 2 XL. There's going to be Kinect-like implementations of bathing the scene in dots of infrared and, and reading them back for measurement. Uh, we're going to see. Um, there's hybrid solutions. We're going to see a system that have three cameras in the rear, uh, dual cameras uh, for for like uh, parallax plus infrared. Uh, for night vision and and you know using some sort of depth sensing at night. I mean, there's all these hybrids. We're going to see dual cameras where one is a wide angle, one is a regular, one is a zoom, one is a regular, and then the third camera for depth sens sensing added to that, or, or even one with monochrome color like the Huawei, but then a third camera for depth sensing. So we're going to see a lot of things on the back of our phones. <laughs> it's going to vary from manufacturer to <laughs> manufacturer. I think it's going to be very interesting. And, and with all with all those things on the back of the phone, they better get rid of the fingerprint sensor because as we know with the S8, the S8 Plus and everything, if there's any sort of confusion, 
about where you put your finger to uh, well no like i think samsung can solve this by just putting the fingerprint reader well, in, the, in the right spot in the back yeah. and still have all the yes. cluster of camera systems up there it's no big deal i'm just envisioning a back of the phone that no longer is like flat with absolutely so, so nothing like every my, every per, right, every part of the surface is what covered we might with the see from samsung is and i want to touch on this because i think we might see from samsung on the galaxy s9 is some sort of face id clone uh equivalent just as reliable and and secure um uh, tied in with Fort Knox and all that stuff. And we might see a under the screen fingerprint reader um, uh, that's just available if you want to use that instead. And and one of the rumors for CS is that we're going to see the first phone launched ever with an under the screen fingerprint reader. And every little bit of rumor I've heard so far points at it being made by Vivo, which as you know, is part of the Oppo group and the OnePlus, OnePlus Vivo Oppo empire. Um, <laughs> And that would be interesting. I think it's going to be janky and unreliable and crappy in its first gen because it's, you know, typical Chinese manufacturer first gen stuff. But I think that the OnePlus 6 this year might inherit that technology in a more refined form factor. And as I said, if somebody can do it right out of the box, out of the gate, it's going to be Samsung or LG. So I think that's that would be one way. And and honestly, I think we're going to see another round of Moto Z phones, a Z3 uh, maybe a play and a force and those will be 18 by 9 edgeless full um, full screened phones compatible with mods and because they won't be able to put a fingerprint reader in the front it was it's either going to be under display or it's going to be on the power button on the side like the next bit the razor and the sony phones mm -hmm. i can't i can't use fingerprint what, readers my fingers are typically such disasters with cracking and falling apart oh, you, so so f i was gonna say this because you keep building pinball <laughs> yes machines it's arcade machines destroy game, my hands yeah. they're cruel you just you're just a manual laborer <laughs> exactly <laughs> my hands are typically some product is melting them the skin's coming off because i'm sanding and grinding things yeah yeah so so if you actually do stuff with your hands you can find that these technologies start to fail you like i can't i think my pinkies i could probably use my pinkies but it's kind of very convenient <laughs> <laughs> the rest of my fingers right I, <laughs> it's not very ergonomic no. i've been i've been wondering when we're going to have multi-factor in that sense if we have a fingerprint sensor if we have like even taking like samsung's uh iris technology or even going a little bit dumber and going with just like face scanning you're like, like a, the 5t kind of a standard right face. the 5t combines face right pretty decent face scanning that works at least in daylight and fingerprint right mm. And well, and, and having that be a, a requirement both in combination, does the 5T do that to no, where no, you can set no. it's like only unlock if my fingerprint and my face match no. up? Because I mean, security is a really top of mind topic right now. Battery has been a very important mm -hmm. issue, you know, the, however many years. And thankfully, we've got fast charging batteries. Oh, so even if they can't improve the battery technology itself, they make it faster to top things off. So that's good. Uh, people always find faults with security. And, and, you're, and what you're saying about Apple's, you know, face face ID is is promising but in the meantime if you already have the ability to to do like a simple face scan also you've got a fingerprint sensor on there I'd love the the ability to combine. activate both yeah, so yeah, I can yeah. combine them and be like multi-factor the only way I can get in here is if both of these things match because when I pick up my phone my finger automatically goes to that rear facing uh, yeah, yeah. fingerprint sensor anyways so sure combine them both and now I know I'm even that much more secure I'd love to see that yeah, I agree. I think that would be great. One of the things you're asking me, Sean, do I think is going to be significant is they're all going to try to match the Pixel XL, uh, Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL For photography, cameras. right? Yeah, I've seen, I've yeah. seen some so of your pictures. That's the holy grail now. They're beautiful. And, so. you know, the Mate 10 Pro was the first phone 
other than the Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL that uses some sort of AI algorithms for for photography. And it's it's very good camera. It's, I mean, it's also fantastic hardware specs with dual 1.6 aperture lenses, f over 1.6. So really amazing mm -hmm. camera. It's a great camera. But it's the, the AI features are not even in the same league as what uh, Google is doing. And I think it's not because Huawei doesn't have the know-how in machine learning. In fact, they have a dedicated processor in right. the Kirin, uh, the new Kirin 970 to does that stuff. I think it's because they don't have the data set. You see, this mm -hmm. is where I think Apple is going to be in trouble. They don't have the data set because they don't collect data from their users because they're so worried about privacy. And I think in some cases, maybe Google over collects stuff and maybe does abuse our privacy a little bit, even though we give them the right to. I think having a data set is critical for these kind of things to work, right? Yeah. I feel that the Pixel 2 XL camera, I mean, obviously the Pixel 2 as well, but I don't I don't use my Pixel 2 review unit, so I don't know. But the 2 XL that I use as my daily driver has improved in imaging in the last three months. It's even better than when I got it. So that's because Google keeps sending new little machine learning data payloads to my phones, updating it, saying, hey, here's the latest. So it improves in right? low light, it improves in, in, in cloudy, it the improves in hazy. The more I save, the more we all take photos and save them to Google Photos, the more peop, the more it scrapes the web and, and digitizes, you know, and indexes images, the more the system improves. It's magic. This is the only, see, my, I have an older phone now. This is the, the pain of not reviewing phones as they don't show up in my door as often. So my phone, I've got, <laughs> I use an older phone and this is the only phone actually that struck me as being something I'd really like this year was the Pixel 2, not the XL, it's too huge. I thought, I thought you had an S8. I have an S7. Ah, S7. Yeah. So you're about a year yep. behind. That's still a great it is. phone I love today, it. Though. I mean, it's really, it's, the battery life is very good. It's a day. Um, I, I have no complaints at all about it. So the S8 is kind of the same thing again, and, and but it, it breaks more often. So I think the Pixel 2 seems to be like, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, there's, a, you know, there's a handful. I really love a Motorola phones, but I've had so many break on me and, and uh, reviews I read from things this year has just been not hopeless, but not particularly fantastic either. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did an episode, I mean, two episodes back now of, you know, best phones of 2017. And for me, you know, I, I, I think the top five, I, I don't want to rehash that episode. Go listen to it, <laughs> folks. Uh, it's a good one. Um, I would say uh, Pixel 2 XL, iPhone 10, uh, Note 8, V30, and Huawei Mate 10 Pro. Yeah. Those are my five. That makes good sense. So, is that five or is that so six? Where's the Pixel 2 sit in there? I guess you said you don't use it very much. It's probably at the top for me because of the imaging, which is one of the most important things for me. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's really hard to top. For me, it's really hard to top the Pixel 2 XL. And, you know, and it is was- Is that your daily was, driver? That's, the, yeah, that's the phone that I've been Same using. I haven't been reviewing a phone the, the last month. I haven't had one in my possession to review. So I don't know what the next one will be. Maybe the ZTE Axon M, that foldable. Oh, I have it. By the oh, way, oh, you yeah, do. It's so. uh, don't. I mean, look, it's a great idea, and the execution yeah. is interesting. Like I, I tell you, having more scroll real estate instantly by opening the phone is amazing for editing photos. It's like wow, but the implementation is really sketchy and buggy. <laughs> it's kind of like remember how um, how the the the. The pen, the S Pen, was really janky in the early days, mm -hmm. yep. and then once Android started using cursor and and pen input support natively, 
it just got better after that. Um, it's the same deal. I think this needs to be incorporated in the OS in some way to make it viable. And um, but but it's interesting you bring it up because there is very strong rumors, and I don't think we're going to see that CS. We might see a like a prototype in you yeah. know on on a slide on a screen. But there's really strong talk of Samsung releasing a folding phone this year that has a folding display, and. And then obviously we're gonna need some sort of mode where if it's folded, it only uses one half of the display. If it's unfolded, it uses the full display, mm -hmm. which is kind of what the Axon M does, but it does it with two displays and you know a little bezel in between. Um, right. It's a very interesting phone. If you have an AT&T contact or, Z or ZTE contact, I would recommend you get your hands on one just to kind of experience it. But I cannot recommend that phone to people. It's just would be, you have to be super nerdy um, it's expensive, and more importantly, it's outdated. Snapdragon 821, you know, the screens are 69. They're not really high-quality screens. The camera is very meh. I mean, compared to even like a mid-range Moto G5 Plus or, you know, like a OnePlus 5 or 5T, it, it's not even in the league of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, They spent all their time phone. developing the screens and yeah. the, the processor they spec for it was probably way, way, way I mean, way it's, a, it's an A21. When... It's A21, but it's like a year and a yeah, half old, yeah. right? Like, it's not, yeah. it's not bad, but it's not like... It just doesn't feel like a flagship in many ways. It feels nah, like a mid-ranger with two screens that is a bit janky software-wise. You know what I'm saying? It definitely seems one of like one of those devices in a catalog where it's like we did it purely because we knew we could be one of the first ones to do it, and we get a little bit of attention, um, kind of a proof of concept sort of thing. I'm curious about it pure, purely from that standpoint, not because it like solves any actual need that I have, but years ago, Sony had the Sony tablet P and I don't know if you remember that I remember, one. Yeah. It was like a rounded clamshell that opened up and you had two screens, one on the top, one on the bottom. And, uh, you know, I reviewed it. I hated that, that device. <laughs> it was so bad. And I think part of that goes back to what you're talking about. This just it's not, this isn't like a form factor that is implemented in, in some sort of standardized way inside of Android. So that leaves it up to the, you know, to the OEM, the manufacturer to figure their way, figure out how to like cram it in there and sandwich it in there. I think the challenge for Samsung, if they're doing a truly foldable display that, you know, the display itself is folding over is that I feel like we've seen some of these prototypes before and when they flatten out that bend in the screen ends up becoming kind of a dimple area. It, yeah. it kind of puckers almost and no one wants their display to pucker and also like that, pucker well, is not remember, a word that should ever be applied to <laughs> remember display. the galaxy note remember the galaxy note edge mm -hmm. uh, a bit uh, like they just wanted yeah. to show that they could make a plastic oled screen that that kind of Bent. waterfall on the side mm -hmm. right yeah and and they did but it was so awkward to was use useless. there was really no point yeah, right. to it and then when the galaxy s6 uh was it the six plus or the six whatever it was the one that it they showed look we don't we just if you do just a little bit of water falling, a bit of edge roundness, then we don't we don't really like to actually have to have the edge features. It just becomes like a gimmick yep. and a cool looking screen. And that's basically what the seven inherited and the eight mm -hmm. and the that's no become eight. Their language. Yeah. And it becomes a language. And I think people like it because it really does make the screen look even more edgeless, right? Because of the slight mm -hmm. curve at the edge. So I think that, you know, it's gonna be like that. They're gonna start off doing something and we're all gonna roll our eyes. It's gonna be a bit of a disaster. <laughs> and then Gen 2 is gonna be awesome, you know? But but somebody's yeah. gotta bring it on. Mm -hmm. Somebody's gonna make the first folding phone. There's Come also the, the yeah. whole form factor thing that a lot of people aren't interested in a device that you 
need to work two hands to get to get using, you know, unless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing about the Axon M is that you can use is one hand because when it's folded, it's just a mm-hmm. regular phone. One only one display is active, but when you you know when you unfold it, obviously you double the real estate. It's almost as big as an iPad Mini in terms yeah, of screen so real for, estate. Yeah, so for screen reading and or for reading books and for watching a film or editing show. photos. Yeah, for you know, case, it's yeah, amazing yeah. watching YouTube videos. It's like wow. I mean, it really makes a difference, but it's, it's hard to justify all the other compromises, and the fact that it's an Axon, meaning <laughs> you know, it's ZT. I mean, look, don't, don't get me wrong. Actually, the Axon 7 was a phenomenal phone. So it's not like they miss every time. It's just that it could be more polished. Like Huawei has finally reached a place where, like two years ago, I would be like, ah, Huawei UI experience, uh, not so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, hardware is phenomenal, but blah, blah, blah. I feel now I can pack up a, a Mate, 10, Mate 10 Pro or, or a P10, P10 Plus and be like, okay, wholeheartedly, I, you can use this phone. You will not feel like you're, the skin's going to get in your way. You know what phone that totally disappointed me because of the software and the skin got in the way? Was the Mi Mix 2. Phenomenal hardware from Xiaomi. Mm-hmm. Edgeless display on three sides. Ceramic back. I mean, superb hardware. But the software is such a disaster. It's unfreaking usable. And even if you skin it, everything is just a mess still. Like, it's just like, no. So keep that in mind. And that's why we haven't seen Xiaomi come into the US yet. Because everybody wants Xiaomi to come to us because we all love their hardware. But until they give us plain Android or very lightweight skin or learn like Huawei did and LG. Remember how bad LG oh, yeah. used to be and yeah. how nice it is comparatively? Samsung too was to pretty... See. Yeah. Oh, Samsung oh, yeah. is probably they've... the most reformed one of yeah. all. I feel like and their hardware, the Galaxy. Remember how bad yeah. their hardware was? We used I to know. joke saying, "Stop making," because this is when iPhone the five was around and, and and the beautiful and glass and metal. And we used to say the same thing, like, "Come on with these plastic, like bendy plastic, <laughs> horrible." The chrome, you know, the chrome would wear off on your plastic, so it'd show white. Yes. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, it was so disgusting. <laughs> I remember and that. And they turned a corner, though. So I mean, all of these folks can yeah, do it. You know, once they filled it. Yeah. I mean, in terms of hardware, though, they've all turned the corner. <laughs> I mean, Huawei makes gorgeous phones. Xiaomi makes... Go- I would argue that Huawei and Xiaomi make prettier phones than Apple and Samsung. Hardware-wise and spec-wise, they're unbelievably packed. But uh, software... Wah, wah, wah. And <laughs> Huawei is definitely getting there. LG has finally gotten there. The V30, to me, is the is one of my top five from last year. Well, LG V30. And it's the most underrated phone. Of the yeah, it's one you don't hear about. Long shot. It's a phenomenal phone. Like, I cannot recommend that phone more. If you love photography and audio in particular, if you're an audiophile and you want the best audio implementation for headphones on any phone ever in the history of mankind, humankind, Mm -hmm. womankind, (laughs) this is the freaking phone for you. Yeah. Yeah. What's it about something about what's it? A friend was going on about this. Something with the DAX, right? Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's an incredible dedicated uh, DAC Just uh, headphone for- amp made by made by ASS, which is like a super high end audiophile company. It's the worst name ever, um, though, unfortunately for them. It yeah, it is, <laughs> it is. It is. It, but once you listen to it, there's no going back. It's just like oh my <laughs> goodness, it's good. Have you played with that phone, Jason? You know, I will admit of of all the flagships last year, the LG V30 got very little, like I got very little time with it. Um, and so as a result, like it, I end up not thinking about it in these regards. But I know, you know, you've been on a number of times and you've definitely uh, brought it with you. And, and I know that you speak very highly of it. I, I just, I feel like it's, 
Uh, you know, sometimes LG phones seem to fly fly under my radar for whatever reason. I'm not. I mean, really in quite many sure. ways, it is a Pixel 2 XL prototype. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, but they removed all the good audio stuff, <laughs> and the cameras are very different. I think the the Pixel 2 XL camera is ultimately better, not because of its hardware specs, but because of its AI features. Mm-hmm. Um, and and but the in pure in terms of pure numbers and and like if you look at the specs, the V30 camera is killer. I mean, f of 1.6, and you get that super wide angle, which is super fun to play with. I prefer, I frankly prefer that to the zoom lens we have on the Note and on the iPhone 10. I find it much more useful to be able to do super wide angle at trade shows. You can like, like Sean, you you would dig mm-hmm. this. You can go to a car show and be right in front of a car, literally two feet from the door of a car, and take a perfect shot of the side of a car. That's crazy. Right. And that's how and it, that's very... how these shows work, right? You're inches from. Uh, whatever you're trying to yeah, shoot. you know how it is. If you don't want people in your shot, you're screwed, right? Mm-hmm. You'll wait forever if you just line yourself up like about two or three meters away, right? right? So yeah, it's interesting. Um, but you know, back to CS, I think um, I think that you know, to some there might be some surprise around Galaxy S9 or around the folding Samsung phone. So the Samsung press conference is definitely one to watch out for. And then I would say that you know, let's see what this Vivo. This alleged potential Vivo phone, or at least whatever phone it is with a fingerprint reader embedded in the screen, brings us. Mm-hmm. And, and Google. Uh, you know, Huawei, Huawei is going to officially launch that v, V10, View 10 uh, Honor. It's basically a Mate 10 uh, for half the price with almost the same specs. It's a pretty, and it's sold as an Honor, which is their kind of, you know, uh, budget, not budget, but their. They're more accessible price brand. And and I think it's going to be an awesome phone. I mean, I've played with it, so I know. But because it, it's not an embargo or anything, we I, we all got a chance to do a hands-on in San Francisco in, in November. But um, I think it's going to become official. Um, hmm. Yeah. So that's that's what we're definitely going to see at CES. Can, can I make one, um, one prediction about CES? Go for it. We are going to see lots of really unnecessarily smart things. Yes. Oh my God! No, like, it's already it's already Internet the case. Of- I know it's already the case, but now I feel like this is the year where it's like, oh, but you know, smart smart has been has been a buzzword. People are getting in on the the smart home thing with you know with the home assistant. Oh man, and is all that ever kind of a crazy We're- thing this year? Sorry to, we'll talk yeah. about that after. Yeah, no, I I mean, you know, we're already seeing these really ridiculous like coffee like smart coffee mugs, smart hairbrushes, smart forks. Guess now what I, I think today. now I think we see everyone, you know, all the Chinese manufacturers going, This is what people want. And I mean they're gonna be everywhere. That's this morning alone I got a pitch for a smart couch. It's a couch what? has an embedded touchscreen in it. Wow. And the armrest. I'm like, okay. uh, what about taping an iPhone, an old iPhone to my couch? Does that, <laughs> it looks, make that you looks, a smart couch? Phil would love that to have a couch a couch with duct tape on it. Yeah. I'm sure he would. <laughs> yes, you right. know that he would. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a bit it's a bit over the top. And you know, I, in my consulting, I help a lot of these companies. Um, you know, I advise them, and and I always tell them, it's like, look, if you're trying to reinvent something that doesn't need to be reinvented, you're you're failing. It's like we do not need a smart kettle. There's this thing in a kettle that beeps naturally when the steam yeah. goes through it to tell you it's done. Mm-hmm. You don't need a now, notification it, on your phone. Be cool, what would be cool is if your stove heard the sound and automatically turned off the gas or the electric at that point. But your kettle itself does not need to be smart. The fact that it already whistles works just like 
better than a phone notifications or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth that you know will break the first time you forget about it and put it in the dishwasher, you know? <laughs> I find that we're, we're already being notified to death in our lives. Imagine a world where every single item in your house is actually very smart. And imagine the noise that you have to deal with in that, in that reality. It's just not necessary. Smart, smart slow cookers and things like this. I mean, I use sous vide a lot. I cook a lot and and the sous vide has, you know, it has remote features and I have never once used them because you go to the thing, you put it in the water, you set a temperature, you say start and you're done. Like there's no need for you ever to worry about, oh no, is it still 147? Oh yeah, it is good. You know, like it's not something I'm in my basement worrying about. Is it still 147? Because I know it is. It is every other time yeah. I've ever used it. It's never going to slip. And it, this is a, a a Christmas thing. Is is Google made in Canada anyway? The the price of the their mini uh, thirty nine dollars at Christmas up here, and I'm assuming in the states. Yeah, it's good. And it became like a yeah. runaway hit somehow. So I was in a Best Buy. I, I you know leisurely picked one up for myself, and I said I'll get a couple for the kids later in the shopping season you bought a six-pack like beer yeah, exactly you needed it and then i went back and there were none like there were there were the store was covered with them every bin had them and then they were gone and everybody i know now has these things so i think i think you're right jason you touched on this the home automation stuff and the smart home stuff is going to be exploding at ces i think that's going to be a huge conversation i think google's booth whatever it's going to be like is probably going to be filled uh, with partners and and that kind of stuff surrounding their home automation, more s- great Samsung smart fridges, I expect. Oh, I, that, it never is a bad like if it's a if there's no smart fridges from LG or Samsung, it's a bad. Show. <laughs> That's right. They <laughs> have to true. be. It's a I failure. want a smart home sauna. <laughs> That's what I want. Oh yeah, you know my favorite is last year, two years ago, a while back, LG introduced the the smart uh, clothes folder. You 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 throw your clothes in this closet thing after you did laundry mm-hmm. right after you out of the dryer and it folds them i would like that actually what? that would be useful that's, that's it's insane it's a, basically a folding robot in a little see closet. that's the cool stuff is mechanical clever things like that are always really wonderful at shows like this it, it, mm-hmm. you know what i love about this is i think being in my late 40s it's like I was, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s, they promised us the moon. Mm-hmm. Well, we got the moon. They promised us Mars. We didn't get it. They promised us flying we cars. Didn't we it. didn't really get it, but we got drones. Instead. We got communication. That's and, what it was. It wasn't ultimately, it wasn't about transportation. I mean, we got all, we, we were promised all this stuff. So what I get really excited when it's like, you know, completely unnecessary things like that, that are like super mechanically complex. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, somebody is engineering this like stuff. Like a VCR. And, I know it's insane. It's great. Um, but, um, it's old, but if you take you know, it apart, least, they're terrifying you know, inside. It's unbelievable that somebody decided that this would make a sensible consumer electronics product, a really expensive one. And you couldn't put more moving parts in any appliance in your home than a VCR had. Like if you take one apart at the time, it was yeah. unbelievable. It's insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hmm. And it became a commodity to the end. You know, you could buy a VCR for a hundred bucks and it was super complex, but at the same time, super commodified. So, but this thing, this LG folding, whatever <laughs> robot thing is it's kind of amazing to see an action. They always have at their booth. And, you know, I, I think, I don't think it's commercial product yet, but it's definitely, eventually we're going to have some sort of closet that we throw our dirty laundry in. And at the other end, it comes out folded, and right? hanging for you. That would be nice. <laughs> it and would be very convenient. Yeah. Nobody likes to do laundry. It's like a, an, an assembly line washing system in your house rather than you, you know, having a washer and dryer to deal with. Um, 
what else i mean what else do you think we're gonna i mean of course a lot of automotive automotive uh, announcements yep. a lot of autonomous 5g yep. uh um, tied together you know, all that all that goodness um smart smart appliances I, I you know i'm not talking about like the little gadgets from china that are stupid i'm talking about like big brands like samsung mm -hmm. lg you know westinghouse whatever whirlpool to me those are kind of I don't need them, but they're fun. Yeah. Like I always kind of go, hmm, you know, like uh, toaster ovens that, with touch screens. Yes. And, like, you. you know, big ovens I, with touch screens. I want to know what, what like the products I always find interesting are like things that Nest does, you know? So they take some sad little thing from your home and they make it wonderful again, like a thermostat or the smoke detector or, you know, so what is going to be next in, in that world? I think that those kinds of things are always fun at these shows as well. You've, can you think of anything that you've heard of or that you, you know, hmm. like those kinds of products, I, I think, I think are the, the best. The next, I think Alexa in many ways or Google home, I mean, so Echo or Alexa equipped devices or Google assistant mm -hmm. uh, equipped devices like Google home, I think are going to be the, the catalyst that's going to make uh, home automation really a thing yeah. because they are the universal interface. Yeah right you have to have it today to be competitive if you so you can have other ecosystems you can have nest thermostat and a nest smoke detector you can have philips hue in every other room you can have smart things in, in another room because you started with that and then you gave up mm -hmm. on it <laughs> and they all talk to each other through alexa or uh you know google assistant and to me that is actually progress because we now have a unified interface that's super easy anyone who has to talk to to something mm -hmm. right so and it works. It's actually I use a lot of home automation through a, through Amazon actually mostly right now because I find my Google Assistant doesn't support a lot of my ecosystems yet. Alexa um, just arrived here. That Amazon is like really a, a month ago, or maybe not even. It's oh, amazing. Really? I mean, uh, for home automation, it really ties it all together in the most incredible way. And and I I think that's the revolution. I don't think it's any specific product anymore because um, vertical ecosystems in that field are doomed. Mm -hmm. Right. I yeah. think that. We still need a solution for for uh, light lighting and lights in the sense that it, I think the ideal solution is if you could retrofit every light switch in your house, not not the the outlets, but the light mm -hmm. switches, um, in a in a kind of very simple way um, with something that can be automated, then I th the perf the first company that does this really well, and there's been many attempts, but nobody's really pulled it off mm -hmm. yet. I think is going to be the the winner in that area because that one is is still really broken. It is, and, and the stopgap seems to be bulbs, right, that are aware and smart. But then you end up with these wall switches that eventually houses aren't even going to have anymore. You end up with a wall switch exactly. that you just leave on all the time because you're talking to the bulbs. You know, there was an interesting. There yep. was I, I was in conversation with uh, the people from Echobee. Uh, it was in the fall. Yeah, the thermostat. Right, and, is... and so they they had some neat, interesting home automation stuff. We never went anywhere with our discussions, but. There's a company that makes uh, controllable louvered vents for your rooms. So oh yeah right? yeah. So, so they would talk to Ecobee, and they're these are have rechargeable batteries in them. So you have you, you, their idea, and it and it and it exists is that as you walk around your house, um, at least up here depends on you know obviously how you're doing your heating and cooling. But as you walk around your house, this bubble of warm air is following you around. So as you leave a room. The sensor says, okay, hey, you know, this motion has left the room. There's no one here anymore. So the louvered vents in your living room, for example, will close. And then you go into the kitchen and maybe the louvered vents open up in the kitchen. So it's an active sort of heat management system. But there's also the concept of having, um, you know, behaviors as they learn. So, you know, it, it starts to figure out, hey, at 10 o'clock, 
Sean goes to bed. So maybe at 9.55, the vents in your room open to heat or to cool your room more, and the spaces you're in start to shut as you, you know, get ready to leave them. And I think those kinds of things are going to be, like, really, really powerful for people, and especially when you can... I mean, if you can picture it, you can walk up to a heating vent in your living room, you can pull that grate out of the floor, drop a new one in, and, you know, that bit's done. So from a consumer standpoint, yeah. it's super easy. It's, it's, and you it know, has to I, be I helped, a, I helped a Ukrainian company launch a product this year called Solar, Blind, Solar Gaps, hmm. which are basically blinds. They're smart blinds. So they do the same thing. They open and close and track the sun to adjust to um, minimize like it's for, for use in hot climates, mm -hmm. like think Israel, uh, think, um, you know, anything around the Mediterranean, M Middle East, and maybe like the Southern States, you know, like Arizona, New Mexico. Basically, it knows when you're not in a room and it shuts the blinds, um, you know, it tracks the sun to, to like let enough light in, but not, not uh, you know, like the, basically the purpose is to decrease your air conditioning bill yeah, right? by, by optimizing. Um, and it's really cool because they put solar panels on the outside of the blinds. Uh, so they're harvesting energy at the same time, not just to power the blinds, but to actually feed to your grid, right? So, um, and you have enough, if you have enough window area on the, in the sun in your house, you know, it's a more cost-effective way potentially than, than doing, um, than doing solar panels, Interesting. right? Now, you know, it's very Gen 1, so of course, but can you imagine as this technology matures and improves and, and miniaturizes, now you have, you know, as you said, a house that's really, truly smart. It, it knows where the people are in the mm -hmm. house. It knows the, the sun, the environment it's in. It can adjust the louvers, the blinds, you know, open and close windows to your natural airflow. It can close windows when the air quality gets bad, like when we had all these fires up here in northern uh, in, in the Pacific Northwest oh, man, yeah. or in California for that matter. And, and, you know, all that stuff. And, and I think, uh, that to me, it's in the integration of all of it. I think so far only really, uh, you know, Google assistant and Alexa based systems have been able to kind of tie it all together in this. That's it. And, the, and like you said earlier, those are stop gaps. So the Google home mini is like, just imagine you peel off that shell, put it in your any device in your home in a light switch in a whatever so that no matter where you are in your house you can speak to it and without having to worry about mm -hmm. you know where's my google home microphone what kind of automation do you have at home jason do you have anything yeah well so actually uh at the as of this christmas every single room in our house has a google home of some sort um and that was probably one of the best one of our well, we have a seven and a four-year-old uh four-year-old mm -hmm. daughters uh that was one of their favorite gifts was google home minis for their room because that that's how they play music that they enjoy music with their voice in the other room so now they can listen to it in their room and and they love it so that's kind of the interface and then we've got hue light bulbs throughout the house we've got hue light switches because i hate controlling my lights with an app on my yeah. phone like that's just not exactly. ever going to be the thing I want to do. Uh, instead, we have the the light switches that work within the Hue universe so that I can program different profiles just based on how many times I hit on. And that works wonderfully for us. Um, and so, you know, we've got that. And, you know, outside of that, we've got a Honeywell thermostat that, you know, that connects into Google Home. But I never use Google Home to to control that. It's it's on a schedule. I like I appreciate Smart Home and I appreciate the, the promise of it. It would be really nice. Like I was watching Black Mirror last oh. night. It'd be really nice to walk through my home and have my lights follow mm -hmm. me just based on my motion and everything like that. Except 
I just fear that things get a little too smart. They get a little too predictive. They, you know, and we see this on phones all the time where it's like, this phone learns how you use things. Yeah, your, I kind of hate that use too. Things <laughs> and surfaces the right <laughs> thing at the right time. It never no, does. It I mean, it's always confusing <laughs> because there's never any persistence to anything. So I'm I'm down with, with smart home, but I want to be able to control how smart it actually is. Because if I if it's full on automation, like I just, I feel like that would just be far too confusing for me. Maybe I'm old school. I don't I'm know. I'm with you about the kids. No, my I think- kids think that the same thing. They got Google Home Minis. Well, unfortunately, they're still still in the mail from Google. And that was their that's their favorite <laughs> gift. My son is, is 11. My daughter's yeah. 10. And they spend all their time just kind of talking to it now, trying to get it to, to yeah. tell. You know, if you ask it, what does the fox say? They find that that's just the best thing ever. Because it, rep- <laughs> it replies with the, the chorus from the song. but And then she says, that's, oh, that's what I've been told. It's excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's great! Yeah, well, there's fl- there's a uh, there's freeze dance. Yes. So you know if they decide they want to play freeze dance, they just say play freeze dance and boom, music. You know, they it launches right into the game. There's, but man, for music and and that's where I realized like Google was really smart to reduce it to here in the U.S. It was twenty nine dollars yeah. for the mini, and depending on where you got it, you'd end up getting like a ten or fifteen dollar gift card for that store also. On so top, it was ridiculously yeah. low. And, you know, it, something like music is a perfect example of how this device can do a million things. But if you find the one thing that people will connect with it with, then suddenly that one thing is very useful to that person. That's what the reason that they got it. But it opens up to this whole other world of other things that maybe not now, but maybe eventually yeah. those people will be open to or understand why they why they need to use that for that. I purpose. just wish the last last yeah. topic on the minis. I just wish there was an audio jack on that thing. Because having, yeah. having to have a Chromecast so the- plugged into something to use the audio <laughs> is, to me, I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a grab. So the Echo Dot, the Echo Dot, Amazon's tiny one, has a headphone right. jack, so which is, that's, yeah. That's fantastic. See, that's a reason So there is a mod. Somebody modded the Google I Home. I <laughs> took it apart and did it. But it's mono, um, sadly. But I agree. Does it work with Bluetooth? Does no, it support Bluetooth speakers? Only I've never it tried. The only thing it supports is Chromecast. So Chromecast yeah, audio right. or Chromecast, either one, it will yeah. work. Yeah. I mean, you can Bluetooth your, your phone or whatever into it as it. Yeah. No, no, I get that. As a Bluetooth but, source, but you but can't. Because the Max. Out I, of I haven't it. even heard. Yeah. Have either of you folks played with the Max? Oh, actually, that's, that's on my no, list No, that's of the one I haven't touched. Yeah, that's, I haven't touched I, it I've been, I've been testing it for the past couple of and? weeks. And it is a loud, booming system. I mean, that thing sounds really, really good. It's. You know, it's $400, so there's no denying, like, this is an expensive Google Home. But that's where, you know, from a music standpoint, if you appreciate this type of device specifically because of music, then maybe $400 uh, makes sense to you. For me, it's it's it makes a lot of sense. I don't own it. This, I'm just borrowing Leo's because he got it and let me, let me play around with it. Um, but we just got our backyard done and we have this whole space out there and I would love to get speakers out there. But now in this new kind of paradigm, uh, instead of having to like control music on my phone and send it to speakers or having a central stereo in the living room that channels a speaker out to the Mm -hmm. deck, I want something like a Google home mini because when I'm out there, I just want to say, Hey, play this. And it does, you you. know? And so for that purpose, it's a, it's a great device, but $400 is going to turn a lot of people away. I I think it just depends on what, what, how you view it. I think the big winner this year in that sense is Sonos Mm -hmm. because, you know, they were kind of in in a way a dying company because they're very, very, vertical very narrow ecosystem Mm -hmm. what maintained them for many years is that they really had the the easiest integration with all these other devices and 
that and they were really high quality. Yeah. But you can only go so far with that. After 14 years, you know, they needed the magic spark to get back on in business. And the Sonos One, the new one, um, which has built-in um, microphones. Uh, yeah, this it's the entry level okay. one. It's the only one they make that has built-in microphones, and that one supports both Alexa and uh, Google it's Assistant. Very smart. So they're they're integrating with all the systems, and you can just ask it whichever assistant you want on this, and it comes out of the same speaker. And if you have a single Sonos One in the Sonos system, the new one with the microphones, it works for all of your speakers in the entire house. And if you have Echo Dots and Google Homes, um, it can use those as auxiliary microphones at least for their respective ecosystems. That's clever. So it's very cool how they've kind of taken their their strengths, which was, you know, be very universal and and the sound quality advantages they have and the fact that they have you know, the best wireless synchronization, the best, you know, multi-room wireless audio and and leverage all this new stuff that everybody else does well. But now you're no longer stuck in a single ecosystem. And to me, they're the winner this year in terms of audio speakers um, because wow. they sound great. And you can use your assistant of choice, and it integrates with all the good Sonos so, stuff. So if you have legacy Sonos, all of a sudden you have Alexa and Google Google Assistant. It's great. Yeah, that's exactly what I need, and and the price is reasonable too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's not. I bad. need to know. So, uh, I need I'm, to know a Google uh, Google representative up in here in Canada to talk to about checking. Yeah, out Yeah, you Max. need to make friends with Google yep. PR. That's exactly the. Yeah. So um, one last thing I wanted to say. You know, you were talking about. Trends for 2017 for phone, 18, 2018, oh, yeah. oh my God, for phones. <laughs> uh, we talked about the cameras. We talked about the AI stuff. AI is going to be huge on phones. Mm -hmm. um, depth perception is going to be huge. Cam um, meeting up the, the performance of the Google, the Pixel 2 XL is going to be a goal for a lot of uh, phones. But I think the big defining thing that we know for sure is going to happen on every single phone this year, even mid-rangers and low-end phones, is 18 by 9 edgeless displays. Mm -hmm. Yes! <laughs> and that... What do you think of the trade-off that Apple had to make with the 10 for that with that cutaway? Does it bug you? Do you notice it? No. No, I also have an essential phone, you know, the, the phone from Andy yep. Rubin, and also has a cutout for just the camera. And honestly, you quickly forget okay. it's there. Uh, on the iPhone, it's obviously more obvious. And when you do landscape viewing of videos um, on the iPhone in particular, it's really obvious. But frankly, it doesn't bother me that much. I think that, you know, basically I support the idea of a phone that is almost all screen. And I think we're going to eventually, there's going to be somebody who makes a phone that is completely all screen. Yeah. And when they do that, um, I think with a thin, with I think a thin we'll have, OLED that if, if we'll you can have, just we'll have the holy if you grail. can just shut off one you corner know? of the screen for a millisecond while those cameras work, Correct. the user might not even yeah. notice and that's, it, right? You know, and that's exactly what the under you know under the screen fingerprint reader tech. You know, of course that doesn't mm -hmm. shut off a part of the screen for it, but I can imagine a technology that's similar where the sensors are under the screen and they they shut off those pixels just briefly to take the mm -hmm. photo and and you know yeah that's the future but i don't think we're quite there no. yet you know it's just gonna happen it's just you know maybe xiaomi will be the first one since they did the first edgeless three sides edgeless phone right so that was the original me mix uh two years ago now wow. so yeah it's gonna be a fun year we have hopefully we get the chance to do this year. again too this year we can catch up on all these topics and see if we we're right or wrong yeah well i'll be happy to have you on again sean and, <laughs> and jason as well speaking of what we should probably wrap it up it's it's been an hour and 10 minutes um i would love to start maybe with uh sean uh tell us where people can find you online and also you know if i know you do a lot of restoration of of arcade cabinets and <laughs> pinball machines do you have like a website or anything no, right now I where just, people can like I, see your progress it's, it's twitter and instagram though i 
barely use Instagram. Twitter's at Sean underscore Cooper. Um, yeah, my arcade okay. collecting is, uh, unfortunately, it's one of those hobbies that takes up a, a huge amount of time and a huge amount of space because they're giant. And I love seeing your photos on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, they're fun. They're, they're, this morning, actually, I was cleaning up a Neo Geo 4 slot to bring in because I'm having friends over on the 6th for sort of a late New Year's Eve party. So I want to make sure that the games wow. are all behaving themselves. Some good fighting games. Right on. <laughs> nice. Cool. And uh, you said Sean underscore Cooper on yep. Twitter. Uh, and of course, they can find your writing on Engadget from yep. time to time. You contribute occasionally. Yeah. Great. Jason, where can yes. people find you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find just on Twitter at Jason Howell. If, they, if, if you guys want to check out some of the shows that I do here for Twit, uh, you can check out all about Android. Of course, Miriam. Uh, you've been on a number of times. Mm, We're gonna have I you back it. here soon. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, have you up to the studio? And uh, yeah, so all about Android. Twit.tv slash AAA, and then also Tech News Weekly, which is just like a weekly interview show that I do with with Megan Maroney. We bring three or four different newsmakers, newsbreakers on, and talk to them about uh, some of the bigger, sometimes more interesting stories from the week that you haven't heard a lot about. So uh, we're having fun with that that format as well. Sweet. Do you want to plug Yellow Gold as well? Oh, uh, well, I certainly can. Um, yeah, I, I just finished a, a successful Kickstarter for an, a new album. I'm, I'm also a musician when I'm not full-time everything else, parent, <laughs> technology, podcaster. <laughs> Aren't Who we knows how, how we find the time to do the things that we do, but it's my passion. So um, I've got a new album coming out sometime in the next couple of months. Uh, the Kickstarter was successful. I'm super happy about that. So just go to Yellow Gold Music. Dot com yellowgoldmusic.com and uh more information will hit there once it's ready to release well, what I'm kind guessing of mu- probably something like february cool what kind of music yeah. is it it's 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 primarily it's it's guitar oriented some sometimes acoustic sometimes a little bit noisier than that um but you know kind of along the the indie shoegaze uh a lot of it's pretty mellow sometimes little loud 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 moments you can go on there. There's some previous, some of my previous album uh, work is there as well. If you want to kind of get a taste for it, but I've been having a lot of fun with it, and I'm just happy to to do it, whether I I release music or not. It's it's my passion. So, so. go support Jason, folks. Cool. Thank you, Miriam, and thank yeah. you, Sean. It was really nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you both. Yeah, thanks for both being on the show. <laughs> a real pleasure. Um, you know, it's my first show where I've had two guests for the entire duration of the show. I've had uh, guest execs come on. Uh, either by phone or in person when I had at conferences in hotel rooms to like kind of like give us a lowdown on maybe a big announcement they had. But this is the first time where it's truly just you know, three tech journalists talking about nerding out about tech for an hour. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a little bit more, m- bit more challenging to manage in terms of, you know, resources, but I love it. And I'm glad we did it for the first week of 2018. So thanks for being on again. Thank and you. you guys know where to find me. I'm at TNKGRL on Twitter. That's Tankerl, like the comic book without the vowels. Remember, there is a YouTube channel uh, that kind of goes with the podcast. So when I talk about a device and you want to see it physically, I usually have some sort of unboxing or review. It's on my YouTube channel, um, youtube.com slash Miriam That's my full name, Miriam with a Y. Uh, spelt out and uh, so subscribe to the podcast subscribe to the YouTube you know like the videos all that good stuff and remember if people don't know where this podcast lives it's on you on iTunes and on Pocket Cast but if you forget it's just mobiletechpodcast.com and then you find the RSS feed there and you can go from there so subscribe and join us next week we'll have uh, probably maybe two podcasts next week because I'll be live at CES and uh, yeah so tune in for that thanks again folks 
Bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.